Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome back to the Ransomed Heart Podcast, our special series here for Easter, yesterday celebrating Palm Sunday and what's been called the triumphal entry, Jesus riding on the colt of a donkey, which is just a beautiful picture of both his humility and and also Christ ushering in something of the reconciliation of the kingdom. You don't ride on the colts of animals that have never been ridden before. Anyone who has spent time around animals can tell you that. Horse people can tell you this, that that is an extraordinary, extraordinary feat. And you just see something of the beauty of the reconciliation of the kingdom coming. And then as we concluded yesterday, Jesus went back into Bethany to the home of his close friends and spent the night there. And now it is Monday morning, and they're heading back into Jerusalem, back into the conflict, the hostility, the the murderous climate. And so the story picks up in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Pause. Um, When you hear sentences like, Jesus was hungry, do you believe them? Do you accept the reality of the stories where it says Jesus tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well in the famous story of the woman at the well? Do you believe the scriptures when they say things to you about Jesus' exhaustion, Jesus' emotions, the humanity of Jesus? Because if you miss this, if you dismiss this, you miss Easter. Again, the religious fog comes in to just try and make this such a kind of a lovely pastoral scene. Yes, certainly with tragedy on Friday, but, you know, we all kind of know the ending anyway on Sunday. And so we lose the reality of Jesus as a man. He is real. He's a human being. In fact, as Chesterton says, his was the most human face of all. Jesus is the most human human being that ever lived. Yes, the Son of God. But at the same time, he embraced our humanity, as Hebrew says. And so here you have them leaving Bethany in the morning, and it says he was hungry. And so something of the reality of, you know, it's morning, and maybe they skip breakfast. Maybe they're in a hurry. My guess is the crowd stayed late last night. And they got to bed very late, and now it's up early and out of the house and hoping to catch something to eat on the way. And yes, I understand that theologians will say, well, the fig tree represents Jerusalem and the people of Israel, and they're not fruitful. And so Jesus is you know, going to curse them. And yes, this is a very prophetic act. That's true. The fig tree does represent Israel often in the Old Testament. But what you have is the story before you. Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree. He goes to see if there's any figs on it, and then there's a a cursing there. Jesus is not an idle man with his words, and I think you're going to understand that story with what takes place in the next sentence. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. (laughs) So, whoa, you know. Mark and Matthew locate the cleansing of the temple here in Easter week, here on Monday. And what we're going to see about the internal world of Jesus on Monday is his anger. We saw his tears. We saw his poignancy in Palm Sunday when he weeps over Jerusalem. He, it agonizes him. It breaks his heart to know what is coming against the city of God and coming against his people. I mean, in a very short period of time, the Romans are going to invade and take this whole thing down, literally, as he said, leaving not one stone upon another. And so he wept over that. But here on Monday, you have something of the anger of Christ. Again, if you'll allow me to read a bit from Beautiful Outlaw. In two verses, he empties the temple, a report that reads like the crack of a bullwhip. But take the action slowly. First, Jesus observes the shenanigans, and it makes him furious. And then he takes the time to make a weapon. Where did he get these cords? As John tells us, he makes a whip of cords. That required some looking around, some forethought. You see, having found them, he had the patience and forethought to weave them together effectively to make a usable whip. He knows what it takes to move large, sedentary cattle and self-righteous profiteers. Now, there's time enough here to cool off if this is merely an outburst of anger. But no, this is a planned and sustained aggression, particularly unsettling for pacifists. Following the flow of the text, it says that he then used that whip to drive all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. Now, the livestock would have been kept in some sort of corral. They would have been standing around for hours, and so they're now languid and sleepy. An angry man flying upon them with a whip would ignite panic, mass panic. Animals feed upon one another's fear in seconds. Picture cattle and sheep running for their lives, crashing down the corrals, their hoofs sliding frantically on the tiles, making them even more desperate. We have a stampede here. And then it says he poured out the coins of the money changers and sent their tables tumbling. The money changers think Men who make their living through extortion are reported to have been sitting at those tables. How easy is it to move carefully and quickly from a sitting position while removing your legs from the table that is being overturned in front of you? More panic. Meanwhile, the coins. Jesus doesn't permit them to gather their money and move off in an orderly fashion. He dumps the coins. He scatters them. This is explosive. You've probably had a small handful of change fall off a counter. They burst in every direction like a jar of marbles. Imagine the chaos of hundreds and hundreds of coins erupting off the stone floors. And now layer all this together. 
The animals would have panicked in every direction, their keepers running after them, shouting, trying to get control, which only incinerates the panic. Add the greedy money changers scrambling around on the ground, grasping at their careening coins. Imagine the noise of this, bellowing of frightened livestock, mingled with the crashing of corrals, tables, coins, and angry shouts of the incensed men. And over all of this, the shouts of Jesus. It is absolute pandemonium. Someone screaming fire in a casino would not be far from the reality. This is a fierce, intentional man, to be sure, but his passions are neither reckless nor momentary. In the midst of the fury, there is this touching tenderness toward the doves. They would be in cages, and if Christ were to hurl them to the floor as he did the tables, the birds would be hurt, and so he simply commands them to be removed. Now, could a small, unintimidating figure accomplish such a sustained riot? To pull off driving all of them out of the temple would require more than a few seconds and repeated blows. This is a sustained assault. If a frail man with a weak voice tried this, he'd be log-jammed by the sheer numbers and inertia of the traffic. Jesus is a locomotive, a juggernaut. For all practical purposes here, he is the bull in the china shop. This is our Jesus. Now, can you picture Gandhi or Buddha storming into the polling place of a local election, shouting, overturning tables, sending the participants fleeing. Whoever did this would have to be really committed to clear the building, fierce and intentional. And this is a breathtaking quality, especially when you compare it to our present age, where doubt masquerades as humility and passivity cloaks as rest and emasculated indecision poses as a kind of laid-back enlightenment. Now, yes, yes, Jesus could be kind, and he certainly was humble, but his fierce intentionality is riveting to watch. And do you understand his anger? Here on Monday, as the climactic week is unfolding, he goes straight for the heart of the issue. He goes for the temple. He goes straight at the heart of life with God and what they have done to life with God, what they have done to put barriers and obstacles and just ridiculous processes and programs and hoops to jump through, substituting for a real relationship with God. Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue. He goes right against religion, okay? And Let me try and connect you to his anger here on Monday. I want to read to you a note that we received from just a lovely young woman who recently attended our women's retreat here. She had come up to Stacy early in the weekend, but she was so oppressed, so assaulted by darkness, she couldn't even look Stacy in the eye as she spoke to her, and Stacy could just feel the darkness around her. And then the gal just kind of disappeared into the crowd. And so Stacy gathered the team to pray for her, hoping for her deliverance and healing and rescue and her reconciliation to God. 
And then later, the woman came up to Stacy, handed her a note, and her eyes are clear. Her face is shining. And here's what the note says. Locked away in a pit of darkness for so long, completely unaware that God has been pursuing me. He has been there every step of the way, but I was so closed that he could never access my heart. I was so violated, wounded, so guarded, so shut down, there was no room for him. I started to believe that my heart would never see the light of day. But Jesus, sweet Jesus came from my heart. He tore through the blockades, through the fear, through the untruth, and he met with me in the most amazing way for the very first time last night. Tears that have been locked away for 12 years fell in an unstoppable healing waterfall. I fell into the arms of my Savior, and he caught me. Thank you for helping me realize that Jesus loves me. Yes, even me. He sees me, and I see him. Now, friends, you understand this is the heart of Jesus' mission. This is what he's here to do. He says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free from darkness. And so when you have the very religious system, the church, literally preventing this from happening, erecting barriers after obstacles, after mountains of religion that not only makes it difficult, but literally makes it impossible for people to experience this. Do you understand the anger of Jesus? And you bet he curses the fig tree in the sense of expressing his anger against unfruitful Israel. You bet he does, if that's partly what that parable meant. But certainly as he moves into the temple, right, and he clears it of all of this religious nonsense, Friends, if you will please allow me an expression, because it fits the passion of Jesus in this moment, you understand that there is no bullshit like religious bullshit. It's the worst in the world because it's the very opposite, the very corruption of the thing that God wanted to offer to mankind. So Jesus clears the temple in this passionate heart. And you see, again, in the internal world of Jesus here on Monday, you see his courage and you see his fury, but you see that his fury is motivated by what he longs his people to experience. And then again, the touching close to the Monday stories is it says, when evening came, they went out of the city. And so he leaves again after stirring up, obviously, a great deal of animosity and controversy here. He leaves again and goes back with his friends and sort of hides out for the night in Bethany. This is John Eldridge, and you've been listening to the Ransomed Heart special Easter podcast series here on Monday. 